Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Clap Your Hands, brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you download that app. You get all the episodes first when you do. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And today, Kyle, brought to you by... My favorite team in Philly history. My favorite athlete in Philly history. We're talking about the 016ers today. Super excited to get into the documentary. Uh, for those that don't know, and I, you must be living under a rock if you don't know, the, the documentary is out now, Everything But The Chip. It chronicles the 01 uh, season. We have an awesome interview with Brittany Hardy, who was the director, producer, and honestly, fan of the team, which was really cool. So uh, before we get to that, Kyle, I did just want to talk a little bit. We both watched it. Um, we both lived it. Curious what your thoughts on the documentary were. I thought it was good. I, you know, I, I'm i always like when I'm taking notes and I'm watching stuff like this, it's always like, why isn't this in here? Why isn't this in there? <laughs> but like there's a lot of stuff that I felt like I was able to gain a deeper appreciation for. I thought that Brittany and her team did a really good job to include which I thought was very important, the Theo Ratliff kind of version of this Sixers team, because I think it's been kind of forgotten in history that they were really good prior to trading for Dikembe Mutombo and making that big splashy midseason trade. And during the interview that people are about to listen to, she said that it seemed like there was some emotional residue of trading away Theo, who had grown up with Allen, grown up with the team. And so I, I thought the documentary did a good job of, obviously the focus is Iverson and Larry Brown and sort of that relationship and how that, I guess, centered the franchise, right? Like the, there's the famous meeting with Pat Croce to get those two guys on the same page. And are they going to trade Allen? Are they not going to trade Allen? Will Larry leave? Like there's all these questions at any given time. And I thought weaving all that in like the stuff that we know alongside with maybe some stuff we don't know and putting together the story of that. I think the regular season often gets lost when we talk mm-hmm. about that team. It's obviously we know, Hey, a lot of back and forths with Vince Carter in round two, the step over with Ty Lue, but there is a long journey to get there. And, and so I was glad to see 
that chronicled because that's the part that I think you see much less of. You see a lot of Iverson documentaries are, hey, look at this background he came from, goes to Georgetown, he crosses over Michael Jordan, and okay, now he's just like in the finals and scoring 48 points in game one. And, and so I was glad to see Brittany's documentary show us the journey and show us all of it, all that it took just to get to that moment. So I agree with that 100% because it was interesting, you know, as a 13 year old or whatever, whatever I was when this happened, my memory of it is so extremely like unequivocally positive, right? I remember how awesome Iverson was. I remember how awesome the step over was. I remember him out dueling Vince Carter. I remember them starting 10 and 0. I remember the fans reacting to the to that team that way. And I think the documentary does a great job of showing that. And when the documentary ended, one of the f- thoughts I had was, man, I am so lucky I got to grow up with Iverson as my favorite athlete. Just like experiencing that and having that be the person. Because let's be honest, the older you get, it is harder to connect to an athlete in that way. When you're young in those formative years, the the athletes that are around there, those are the guys that are your favorite athletes. Like some Philly fans grow up, if they grew up around 08, they love McNabb, they love Rollins, they love Utley. I was lucky to get Iverson as my favorite athlete. And I think the documentary really shows his, his journey. But I thought the other part that was interesting was I wonder how, as an adult or as media members, me and you would have perceived that 01 team. Because the stuff that happened, I didn't remember at all, was wild. Like Larry Brown taking time off. I, it's, you know, a game or that two. That part I had forgotten about. Right. He, can you imagine in today's world if Doc Rivers would have taken two games off because he couldn't stand coaching Joel Embiid? And then he just, <laughs> he just comes back like it's no big deal? Or there's every single day, Iverson's going to get traded. Iverson's going to get traded. He's basically traded. And then he's not because of the Matt Geiger thing, which I did remember. But imagine in today's world, that stuff happening. And I also think that we've talked so much about Joel and Harden recently as like, are they winners? Are they losers? Can you win with them? Do they have that mentality? Whatever. I could picture me personally being very annoying during the Iverson thing of, you know, this guy's not a winner. You know, you got to get him out of here, trade him, blah, blah, blah. And so What's cool to like look back on it now is when you see the completed journey is just in today's world. And she talked about this and I thought her answer on how they would be perceived in today's world was very interesting, but it does kind of highlight how in today's media world and as a fan and everything, we're so reactionary and so like quick to want to make changes whenever anything doesn't go well. And that Sixers team were so many times where I think, if I was covering them or if I was an adult during it, I would have been like, yep, it's, it's done. You got to blow it up. They're losing. Blow it up. <laughs> yeah. They, they can't beat the Pacers. Iverson won't practice. Like, what are we doing with this guy? And so I, I thought, you know, it was cool to be able to watch it from two perspectives of how that team would be viewed today, but also getting to remember, you know, like the childhood part of me of how fun that team was. Yeah. So I, even as the, uh, and I joked to her at the end of the, the interview that, my cold hearted media self was able to like go back through time and, and, you know, experience my childhood again. It was very cool. I I do think that it was nice that we're close enough to this happening that the people who were involved with it still have strong memories and memories where it's probably not distorted that much. The problem when you get too far away from when things happen is that, the story gets rewritten four or five times and then guys are telling inaccurate versions of what happened. But so the 20 ish years 
or so that were removed from when all this happened gave everybody a, a really good bit of perspective. Like, I think you could tell whether it was Alan, Larry, Theo, George Lynch, Aaron McKee, like all these guys talked about it and recognized it as this once in a lifetime type season that it was like, Hey, the, one of my biggest regrets is not being able to get it over the line that year, mm. that this was a, a special year and a special group and talking about their regrets pretty openly. Like I, I thought that both Larry and Alan, Alan really more so said that he was the cause of, I believe it was 99% of yeah. all the problems between him and Larry. I personally disagree with that. And I think Larry probably disagrees with that. I thought it was really eye opening. And Pat Croce saying to Larry, essentially that he, when Alan hears certain things from you, he's hearing it as if it's coming from, I'm trying to think of the phrasing. Did he say like a prison guard yeah. or a, yeah. Yeah. I remember that part. Yep. And I thought that was really eye opening, and it certainly looked like it was eye opening for Larry that that was yeah. a real breakthrough moment for him that he heard that not from Alan but from somebody that was basically the mediator for the yeah. two of them. And so there were a lot of cool moments like that. The one thing that I I really regret that basically there just wasn't time for when they were talking about Game Seven of the Toronto series, and Aaron McKay is talking about. I'm in the huddle with Tyrone Hill saying, we're going to switch this action. We're going to switch this. And they're, they're fighting about that. I feel like that's the kind of stuff in basketball documentaries that they just don't touch on as much compared to football, where you're like, you're in the huddle with the coach and you're hearing the play calls. And, yeah. you know, NFL films generally does a really good job of including that stuff. And I thought that was a very cool snapshot of that moment that I've watched that Vince Carter shot rim out, you know, 250 times in my life and i never heard aaron mckee get interviewed about what the plan is well, on defense going into it and i wish there was you know there was a whole documentary series where we could get into you know all that kind of stuff well and this is honestly not meant to defend doc but it is funny how a few pods a few pods ago we talked about that rasheed wallace clip where he was saying they would be in a huddle with uh with doc and then he'd get out the huddle and be like all right let's just figure it out on our own and that was viewed as such a doc doesn't, you know, he doesn't adjust. He, like no one likes him, whatever. And then Aaron McKee and Tyrone Hill say this about what is, you know, arguably the best coach in Sixers history or certainly on that list. And we just view it so differently. So I, I think, you know, that is one of the cool parts of the documentary is just getting new perceptions on this and, you know, all that. So let's get into the interview with Brittany. Um, super interesting. What I also thought was interesting was hearing both her stories from the documentary but if you're someone that's in media or someone that wants to get into it, her perspective on how she prepares for an interview and all those things, I thought were really interesting. So this is uh, this is where we're going to get right into the interview with Brittany Hardy, Hardy, the director and producer of the 016ers, Everything But The Chip. I really hope you guys enjoy. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, 
not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, welcome to the pod. Brittany Hardy, the director and producer of the 016ers, Everything But The Chip kind enough to join us to talk about let's be honest a topic we bring up every pod anyway because i'm obsessed with the 2001 sixers the documentary that just came out if you haven't seen it yet obviously you should check it out me and kyle both watched it it is awesome it was a great trip down memory lane Brittany, thank you so much for joining Uh, i'm excited to talk to you about how this all came together and uh the best team in philly sports history absolutely thank you for having (laughs) me honored to talk to you both (laughs) yes very very excited so I guess like the first question I had to kind of take this on a on a larger scale is um, you told us you uh, went to Temple. You were in Philly when kind of all this happened. What made you decide to do this? Like, how did this begin? How did you get involved in it uh, and just, you know, doing a documentary about this team? Yes. So um, I'm from New York, but I went to school at Temple University. Um, and now I now work at Turner Sports, which is known as WDB Sports uh, now. So um, I produce content for both NBA TV and TNT. So on NBA TV, we have this thing called uh, Basketball Stories. And um, I had produced two docs before. And uh, everybody knows I love Allen Iverson. Like, I love well, Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I love Allen Iverson. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I loved him. Um, and I actually... Uh, produced a doc for NBA uh, stories before, basketball stories before on the 96 draft. So I had interviewed mm-hmm. him before already. Um, and since everybody at work knows that I love Alan Everson, um, last August, my supervisor came up to me and was just like, all right, the next doc that's on deck is going to be on the 2001 76ers. Do you want to do it? And my boss knows <laughs> he didn't have to ask me. So he was laughing when he asked me. <laughs> And I was like, oh, yes, I'm all in. And the last time I got to interview Alan Iverson was via Zoom uh, because it was during the pandemic. So the NBA yeah. wasn't allowing us to interview him in person. Um, and so this time it was going to be in person. So my boss was just like, so now you get to interview him in person and you got to just take off and run with it. And that's exactly what I did. So that's how this started, um, because everybody knows that I love Alan Iverson and this <laughs> project couldn't have gone to anybody else. Uh, <laughs> It just go to me exactly. It had to just go to me, and uh, so it started last August. Honestly, about uh, like my boss just bringing this idea to me, like mm-hmm. this was next on the list, um, and 
we just rolled with it after that. So as someone who seems like they were a pretty big fan of Alan, I mean, even prior to doing all this, I guess, how has your perception of him changed now that you've spent, whether it's via Zoom or, or in person now, how has your perception of him changed? I would assume for the better, because my personal interactions with him have always been, you know, very positive, but you know, you never know behind the scenes. So <laughs> what was it like dealing with Alan specifically, I guess? So I always said, um, like, I have met a lot of people uh, being a producer in sports. I have interviewed a ton of people. Um, most of them have been amazing. Mostly everybody has been amazing uh, to work with and to talk to. Um, but I always was nervous to meet, you know, some of like my idols. Uh, yeah. I was always just was nervous to meet like a Jay-Z or Beyonce <laughs> or Jordan. And Alan Iverson is right up there with them. And I was just like, you know, uh, I'm a very like passionate person, which is why I love Alan Iverson, because he literally brought his passion. You can see it on the court every single night. And I love that about him. He literally gave it his all. And that's exactly me as a person, as a producer or anything that I'm passionate about. Uh, so, you know, the first time that I interviewed him, I was telling my parents, it was like, I'm so nervous because he's my favorite <laughs> player of all time. I don't like, you know, I don't want him to be mean to me and then I'm not going to like him anymore. <laughs> but it was the complete opposite. Like uh, both times that I've interviewed him, he was amazing. He was an amazing person. He is an amazing person. Um, and I would say with him, like, you will get an honest answer every time you ask him a question. It has to be a good question. Like, you can't just ask him, like, what color is the sky? Because he's just going to say blue and not give you an explanation. But if you give him a question that he can, like, really go in depth into, he will talk to you. And he would just keep on talking. Um, and as long as he feels comfortable, like, he will keep on going. So when I interviewed him for this doc, um, we literally, the interview was for an hour and 45 minutes because he just wanted to keep on talking. Wow. He didn't want to leave. And I kept saying, okay, I just have one more question. And he was just like, no, I'm here. I'm here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> and he was so cool about it. Um, and he like actually enjoyed it. And at the end of the interview, he was just like, this was an excellent interview. Like, this was great. Um, and that is all I needed. Like after the interview, <laughs> I told my parents, because my parents- have, Like career like, validation right there. Alan exactly. Iverson that likes was, you. That before I interviewed him, I was telling my camera guys and my audio guy, I was just like, this is my NBA finals right here. Like, <laughs> this is it. Me interviewing Alan Iverson, this is my NBA finals. So like we literally was getting hyped before the interview even <laughs> came in. And so after he left, like we all just gave each other a hug because it went so well and he loved it. And that was- like you said, validation. So I got the opportunity to interview him. And then after that, I called my parents like FaceTime and I was crying because they know how much <laughs> I loved him. Um, and it was just special. It was just a great moment. Um, so I would just say um, to me, it enhanced, um, you know, my love for Alan Iverson after I interviewed him because he truly is a great person. So as a fellow Temple grad, um, I want to tell this story uh, real quick. I remember one time uh, when I was in high school, I got tutoring at Temple. So uh, I went to Central High School and I took the subway down to Temple. I get off the subway and it's like mass hysteria. And I see girls like literally crying, people like running down the street. And I'm like, what in the world is going on right here? And I look and it was just Iverson, Tyrone Hill. And I think, I think maybe Aaron McKee just mm -hmm. walking down the street. And it was like, I mean, I wasn't alive when the Beatles were around, but that's what it felt like in terms of just the Philadelphia the, Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It just it, 
it felt that way. I mean, there was just people love Allen Iverson and seeing that in person was cool. But my question for you is what's interesting about Iverson and what I think people connect with him in a way, in a, in a way is he is not a perfect person and he'll be very honest about that. So for as much as I love Iverson and he is my favorite athlete ever, there's certainly things he's done in his career in Philadelphia that, you know, in terms of being a role model would probably not check that box. So I'm curious as a fellow Iverson fan, when doing the documentary, how did you walk that line of you want to, you know, put him in a positive light because he deserves that, but also balance with the kind of off the court stuff? Because in the documentary, it gets into that uh, quite a bit. You know, the stuff with his wife, uh, the practice stuff, the trade demands, his relationship with uh, Larry Brown. How did you walk that line of, uh, you know, criticizing him fairly while also wanting to paint him in a positive light? Yeah. So, uh for me, I, I approach all interviews as like everybody's human, right? We all have mm -hmm. our highs and our lows. And, um, but I also want to be respectful and I also want to tell the story right. So that's how I go into it. I um, Before the interview, you know, I would just tell him like, hey, here are the things that I want to talk about. And I do that with everybody. Here are the things that I want to talk about in this interview. Um, and whatever, say if they, say if he did, he didn't though. Say if he did have an issue before cameras are rolling, I want to talk about it. So that mm -hmm. I don't, I, to me, I'm really not in the business of uh, trying to make somebody look bad. Um, I don't want to surprise anybody um, at all. Like I, for real, genuinely like want to tell their story. Um, and I want to be able to tell it um, in a way that everybody's happy with. Like, I don't yeah. want to, um, like hurt anybody's feelings, um, but I also want to be factual, right? So with him, I mean, it's no secret. Like everybody knows that he has had an up and down roller coaster um, for the 76ers. And this Allen Iverson, present day Allen Iverson, and it's funny because we're doing this interview on his birthday, but All present, right. day, present day Allen Iverson, um, he realizes his highs and his lows at uh, with the 76ers. And um, like when I was interviewing him, he was just like, I'm an open book. Like what question do you want to know? I will answer it and I'll answer it honestly. Um, so talking about the trade, talking about his highs and the lows with the 76ers, um, to me again, like this was a full circle moment because like I got to interview like a more mature person, um, uh, Alan Everson, who has had the time to reflect on his wrongdoings. And in the doc, he literally says, in my third segment, he literally says, like, I was the cause of 99% of what went wrong between me and Alan, between me and Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, for me, I make sure that, you know, I am not uh, in any shape or form, um, you know, making up stories, or I make sure that I, like, we talk about, like, the hard stuff that's going to happen. Um, or that we're, we're going to do the interview about. Um, and then we would talk it out before getting on camera because I'm not really into surprises. I'm not really into making people look bad at all. Um, I wholeheartedly just want people to be happy with the finished product. Um, and that was that. So like it, it wasn't, I was nervous. I'm not gonna lie going into that interview because I was just like, oh my God, what if he doesn't take some of these questions, um, you know, the right yeah. way. But like with Alan Everson, like, you, I think as long as you're respectful and I am a respectful person, as long as you're respectful, you're good. Um, and he would answer your question honestly. So that was that. To your point about uh, maturation, I know he's obviously much older than Alan, but I, I think 
I have seen or we have seen collectively that sort of happen for Larry Brown too, where as you show in the documentary, part of the problem, even if Alan says it was 99% on him, is that they were both, you know, big ego, big personality. They think they're driving the bus, so to speak. And so I, I thought it was interesting to see, you know, Larry look back on those years and say, yeah, maybe I should have looked at at this a different way and it, relating to him off the court, like what Alan's going through as just like a person, let alone what he's going through as a player. And so I thought you did a, a really good job of capturing that. And, you know, I guess, what was it like revisiting that with Larry? Because he seemed like he was pretty emotional about, you know, that time period of his life. Yeah. I, one of the, well, along with what Larry Brown crying, because I've never seen Larry Brown cry before. I've always seen him yeah. be like very like tough guy. Yeah, he, he guy. cried hard too. Like he like got up and he was not he, just a little tear. Yeah, yeah, he he did. Um, and I swear I wasn't trying to make him cry. <laughs> um, but you know, Dean Smith is someone that is really um, special to him, so it brought that out of him. Um, but uh, same thing with Larry. Like I went into that, um, and me and Larry had a talk, a long talk um, prior to starting the interview about the things that you know I wanted to discuss, and you know we talked things out um, a little bit. And again, Larry's at the stage right now where it's more, more, more so like you know, you know this happened. Um, this is how we got through it, and I'm just going to talk about it. But one thing uh, during the interview that really like stuck with me was like, well, two things actually. Uh, Larry Brown said like, you know, he wished like their biggest beef was like Allen's worth ethic, work ethic yeah. at practice, right? Um, and so he just said like, you know, he wished that he was able to get through Allen at that time because he truly believed that Allen could have been like the greatest basketball player of all time. Whether you are an Allen Iverson fan or not, um, to me, that resonated because, you know, a six, basically he's six feet. So a six foot guy during a time, like at that time, like there were true centers in the NBA, right? Yeah. You had to deal with Shaq. And still, Allen Iverson was taking it to the hole every single night and not afraid of anybody. And he was, you know, he was a scoring champion uh, numerous of times and he won MVP. Like he was dominant in a league that had true centers and true big people and all the other stuff. And I don't want to like offend anybody because there are true centers now in the NBA. But all right, we know Jokic sucks. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We, we don't have to get into that. We know Jokic somehow, sucks. Somehow okay. he yeah. came up on yeah. the pod. That yeah, it's that. okay. You don't have to hide it. I just want to say that I did not say that because I think <laughs> Um, But um, to see what Alan, Alan Iverson was able to do in a league that, you know, was the land of like big people and he was just a six foot guy and he killed it like for for me to hear larry brown say that and like put it in that perspective um was actually like really cool like i had a lot of questions like okay well what if alan iverson uh i guess listened to larry brown quote unquote listen to larry brown more or um and then another thing um that larry brown said that really stayed with me was, you know, at the end of the doc, he says, I wish that um, I was able to coach like Alan Iverson for the rest of his career. Like I wish they stayed together for the rest of his career. Um, and so again, it was more so like they're both older now. 
Um, I think they're both more mature now and they both had some time to just sit with things that happened at, during that time. So it was like, I think this doc came at the right moment. It was both reflective, but they were able to tell me, you know, how their feelings were during that time as well. Um, they both were great. What I think is interesting about them both as like subjects to, to make a documentary about is on the outside, you look at both of them and you wouldn't think they were emotional people, right? Iverson's perception of him coming up and then Larry Brown in general. But they're both people that when I watch them get interviewed, I expect them to cry at almost any moment. Like they're very emotional, um, which I think is cool. But what I also about them specifically, because that is a large part of the documentary, I'm curious how you think they would how their relationship would be different in today's kind of media market because watching what they went through there i just can't even imagine today with like twitter and and you know iphones everywhere and everything and how it's such you know in today's nba if there's even the slightest slight at a player you see them ask for a trade and they were yelling at each other and cursing and going back and forth in the media i'm curious um having interviewed both of them and studied it when you did the documentary how do you think you think they would have lasted as long today or no. how would it be different? Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine that. The immediate, no. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like social media would have made that 10 times worse. Like it would have been horrible. And um, I feel like Alan Iverson or Larry Brown or like the teammates that witnessed it, like they have instant access to like go to the public immediately with social media. Like, they can literally go live anytime they want. They can literally post uh, anything that they want. And that just would have just made it 10 times worse. And I don't think they would have made it to 2001 together, to tell you the truth, no. um, at all. Um, so I think they were supposed to be in that time before social media because no way um, would that have lasted. However, I feel like if Alan Iverson and Larry Brown like existed, like if that relationship existed this year, for an example, mm -hmm. I think that the person that would have been moved would have been Larry Brown and not Alan Iverson. Like, I don't think, like at that time they had, you know, legendary coaches. And I'm not saying now the NBA doesn't have legendary coaches, they do. But at that time it was like, Pat, it was, it was like, you know, yeah. real legendary, like Phil Jackson. And um, I remember talking to Stephen A. Smith and then also Billy King about it. And they both said, you know, at that time, the coaches don't get moved. They're legends. Like your star player would get moved. Now in today's NBA, Larry, um, Allen Iverson wasn't going anywhere. Larry Brown would have would have been moved. So I think a Larry lot Brown and then the coach after Larry Brown would have been moved <laughs> before you moved Allen Iverson. <laughs> exactly. Everybody would have been moved before Allen Iverson. So I think that would have been uh, the the major change right there. Like Allen Iverson wouldn't have went anywhere. Honestly. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to switch gears. Just slightly, you we're talking about regrets here. You talked a decent amount to Theo Ratliff, talked about the trade they made for Dikembe Mutombo midseason, obviously. Um, I have had the belief for a long time, and this seems kind of crazy given that they went to the finals, but the better version of that team was that team that started the year where they, they start the year like 41 and 12 or something, and then they end up after – he gets hurt and they make the trade. It was their 15 and 12. And obviously they win in the playoffs and they have to win a couple of game sevens to get to the finals. But did you sense any sort of regret from anyone, obviously other than Theo, that they made that trade and that they changed a team that had been 
you know, really firing on all cylinders for the whole year? Or was his injury just kind of, you know, it is what it is. They had to, they had to do it at the time for a guy like Matumba. Well, first and foremost, I just want to say my interview with Theo was by far one of my favorite interviews of all time. Like I felt like Theo put his heart out there and he was, he couldn't wait to tell his story. And um, like, seriously, during that interview with him, I, I was like, wow, like that, like after he answered a question, I was just like, wow, like that was an amazing answer. Like, wow. Like I, like I, I was very, very satisfied with how that went. Um, so that's one thing. And then two, um, doing the interview with the Theo um, and with everybody else, like his teammates, they all were sad about that. Like Alan said to me during an interview, he was just like, you know, this interview is cool to talk about this trade. Like, I'll talk about it now. But after this interview, I don't ever want to talk about the Theo Ratliff trade. Um, wow. And like they all, like Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, all of them were hurt by that trade. However, um, I would say I don't think, and these are my words, these are not their words. I don't think they had regret. Because they made it to the championship, right? Yeah. Theo did get hurt. And when I was talking to Billy about it, they Billy was just like, Yeah, Theo, you know, was amazing. But he was like, knowing Theo, like he was supposed to sit out, I believe, three weeks, right? For his wrist or something like that, three to four weeks. But um, Billy was just like, knowing Theo, he's not gonna come back until he's like a thousand percent great. And at that time, they didn't have that time. So he was just like, we had to make this move. Um, so I don't think there was a regret, um, but I know that they all felt hurt and sad about it because like Theo, basically they all grew up together in a league together. Yeah. They, they were together for a few years and then here comes Dikembe who hasn't been with them at all. And, you know, it kind of messes it up the dynamic a little bit, which is why, like, they had a couple of, like, lows um, later uh, at the later part of um, that season. But to answer your question, no, I don't think it was regrets, but I know that they all were sad because um, at the end of the day, they still made it to the championship. It is kind of wild in retrospect, like watching the documentary. So when when this was all happening in real time, I was, I don't know, like 13. So I'm not thinking about it from a coverage perspective. But it is wild in today's NBA to think they were the best team in the NBA. They were on a run and they traded one of their starting players. You don't really see that in today's NBA. But a cool part I thought of the documentary was how you did talk to a lot of the They were starters, but let's be honest, role players in terms of Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, uh, George Lynch. You mentioned Theo. I'm curious, talking to all of them, just what your biggest takeaway was. Because watching it, I can see how, look, Iverson's a Hall of Famer, and they know that. But I always wonder if there was maybe a little resentment or anything from them in terms of how the entire team was just so focused on Iverson and they had to all react off him. Curious, getting to talk to them many years later, how you think they view their they viewed their experience with Allen? No, uh, talking to them, um, none of them have resentment. Like, mm -hmm. And I think... Even then, like when they were on the team in 2000, 2001, they, I think they all knew their role. They, I think they all knew that this team was constructed for Allen Iverson. I don't think it was a secret at all. Um, and so like all throughout the doc, they all knew like, hey, like we were here to support Allen. Allen was the guy um, and we are role players. But still at the end of the day, like Aaron McKee was a role player, but he got six man of the year. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they still 
put in their work. Um, and a lot of them were having like their career best year that year. Like we talked about Theo Ratliff before he got injured. That was his best year as, as you know, as a center mm-hmm. in the league. Um, Eric Snow, like he had, he was having a great year before he started to get hurt. Like those were their best years. Um, so I think that they all knew their role, but I think as Allen Iverson um, skills and, Enhance, I think all everybody else on the team, their skills enhance as well, which made the team that much better. And um, it elevated all of them to play better. Um, but no, they they didn't have any resentments. They knew exactly what it was and why they were there. Um, and still to this day, they know that as well. Um, but I think they all played a major part um, in it. And Alan, and Alan has said like numerous times in my interview and a lot of interviews that I've seen, like, you know, his teammates helped him get that MVP that year. His teammates, you know, were were role players, which they were, but they elevated him to be like that MVP type of person. So nobody had resentment at all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never-done-that-can't-wait-to-do-it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Did you gain a greater appreciation for just like how much this team meant to Philadelphia in the process of, of making this documentary? Because... Elliot has said it on the podcast that he thinks that Allen's MVP is like up there with winning a championship. Like well, that's how like much it meant to him yeah, yeah. as a kid. And, you know, obviously you talk to people outside of the team too, right? Like announcers, writers, people who were around the team, around the city at the time. So, you know, how much, how much did that change? Like what you thought about the team and its relationship to the city? Cause like, in the last 40 years, that's the only Sixers team that has even come close to to getting a title. They, they haven't gotten past the second round, as we've had to talk about, unfortunately, <laughs> on this podcast far too many times. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of that's a good question. Uh, um, so during the doc, because I went to Temple, I know that Philly is just different. Um Philly fans are just different too. Like I, I used to intern at Comcast Sportsnet. So Comcast Sportsnet is located uh, right at the Wycovia. Is it still called the Wycovia? Man, you are it's a throwback. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I used to intern there, and I used to just see Philly fans every single day. And when I used to ride the SEPTA up and down Broad Street. Um, And Philly fans are passionate. Philly fans ride out. Philly fans do not play about their teams at all. So I wanted this doc to really embody Philly 
altogether, which is why you see murals throughout the whole entire doc, which is why you see scenics. I tried to embody uh, like fans in the storytelling. So a few people in there like Jazzy Jeff, uh, Freeway, um, the author Clifton Duquette, they are all diehard fans of the 76ers. So I wanted to get their perspective as well. Um, so I wouldn't say that because, but this is because I lived in Philly. So my perspective of Philly fans did not change or like the importance of what the, that 2018 meant to Philly didn't change at all because I, I lived there. I was there. I saw um, how the fans were. Um, but I would say that this, and please, uh, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I would say that that 2000-2001 team, I think, embodied like Philadelphia, like the fans, For sure. the, yeah. the best. Like they were great. I don't think anybody would take that the wrong way. I think people look at Allen Iverson as sort of like he is the ultimate Philly athlete. Where yeah, he just puts his body on the line, and you know he gets hit by. That thing you were talking about earlier where he gets hit by bigger players and gets back up and beats them and outscores them. And it's a very it, it's a team and a player specifically that really fits with, I think, what Philadelphians see in themselves. Absolutely. And I and to me and I'm and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't live in Philadelphia anymore. But to me, I don't think there has been another player or another team that really embodied Philly, the way that that team has and the way that Allen Iverson did. And so that's why I think that, you know, Philly will always love that team. Philly will always love Allen Iverson um, because he truly, and that team as well, embodied exactly what Philadelphia is. Um, and that's just hard work and gritty and um, just a passionate city. Seriously, they are a passionate city. Um, so, I hope I answered your question there. <laughs> I, I think you did. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I have a confession and then a final question. So you brought up the murals. When I'm watching it, I've been feeling my whole life. And I thought the mural thing was a really cool way to do it because one of the cool things is you do drive around the city and you see murals you haven't seen before. And so when you're showing these murals early on, I'm like, man, I got to go check these murals out. Like, where are these? And then when it got to George Lynch mural, I was like, okay, these aren't real murals. Like, <laughs> these are not actual murals in the city. But um, my question for you was, uh, what what did you either in an interview or a, some, something that didn't make the documentary that maybe was just close to getting in or something that you wish could have made it? Obviously, you deal with time constraints. Just something you would want people that watch a documentary, Sixers fans, to know about this experience, whether it was an answer someone gave or, or something like that that didn't make it into the final version. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think two things. One of them I already talked about. Well, the first one was um, like when people look at Alan Iverson, they automatically assume that he was a point guard, right? He was a point guard, but right. if you ask him, if you talk to him, he's a, a two, a shooting guard. Um, so I, and and Larry Brown actually had a hand in switching Alice, Alan Iverson from a one to the two. So initially I had that whole backstory in there of how like Larry Brown came in and he saw the vision for Alan Iverson, and he saw that Alan wasn't a, really a true point guard, and he moved into the two position, um, which made a lot of mismatches for like other two guards because Alan Iverson was smaller, but he was also quicker than other two guards, so on and so forth. Um, so, and then he brought in Eric Snow to be the point guard, um, and so I'm 
I'm a true like basketball fan. So like things like that to me, I geek out about a little bit. Like I really like like the backstory on that, but we had to take that out. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool because if you just look at Allen Iverson, like he looks like a point guard, like you would just say, oh, that's a point guard. But well, especially in today's NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In today's yeah. NBA and in and, and reality, if you talk to him, he's a two. That he has it. He's mm-hmm. a shooting guard. Um, and so that's one thing that I wish that um, I had some time for, but I didn't have time for. And then, you know, the other one that I already spoke about um, with talking to both Stephen A. Smith and Billy King about how, like, in today's NBA, Allen Iverson's not going anywhere. Like, Larry Brown is the one that's going to be moved. And I wish I would have kind of kept that in there because I feel like um, people don't understand how, like, moving a franchise player wasn't rare back in the day, but it is rare today. Like, you're not going to see it. Day. And um, I wish I would have kept that in there um, to just fully like show that and describe that more, if that makes sense, um, of how like crazy or that move was at that time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I have one last one before we go, because it was something that rattled around in my brain during the documentary. Um, was there any particular reason that the, you didn't touch my. You brought up the game seven in the Milwaukee series, but didn't feature much of the series leading up to it. And I know that it is kind of a controversial series in some circles. Like Ray Allen at the time accused the NBA of rigging the series, as did George Carl. And what is you know, like? there's obviously like a, a sour grapes factor in that. Like whenever guys lose, it's never like they were worse. It's you know. The, the refs or something happened, there's bias or whatever. But so I guess like, was there any particular reason you didn't cover as much of that series as compared to, you know, obviously the Vince Carter, Allen Iverson back and forth and Indiana was this big, you got to climb the mountain and beat this team that they hadn't beaten in the playoffs in the past. Well, number one reason is time, right? Yeah. I, I didn't have time to do that. And then two, this doc is, about the 76ers, right? Um, and honestly, to me, when it comes down to it, the most important game right now is game seven. Um, because it's tied 3-3. Whoever wins this is moving on. Yeah. So I just felt like, you know, we just need to tell that story. And, and this is a Sixers doc. So I don't want to get into like, oh, well, Ray Allen thinks that it was rigged or da 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 da. Like at the end of the day, I'm telling the story of the Sixers and how they were able to uh, go through the first, second, and third round to get to the finals um, and how impressive that was when in reality they had one guy. Um, so, yeah, I never even thought about like talking about anything controversial that happened in the Bucks series because. I don't think we needed to. Like, we're here to celebrate the 76ers. At the end of the day, when you look at history, they got there. Like, mm-hmm. they're the ones that won that series. So I don't. I didn't think I needed time to do that. What I think I needed time to do was talk about, and Alan does this in, in the doc, talk about how Ray Allen and Allen Iverson have been rivals since college. That's yeah. that. They were drafted together. Now here they are. They're facing each other in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's the last time the Sixers ever won the Eastern Conference Finals. That's that. Some of the only reason I ask is because it's so – I think I've rewatched, especially when 
COVID first hit, I went back and rewatched a lot of that run just as like a, there aren't any games on and I got to find a way to write about the Sixers somehow. So I went back and it was like retro recapping and doing different stuff. It is very hard to find the footage for that series specifically. Like there's a lot of Vince Carter scores 50 against the Sixers and, and all the NBA finals games are on YouTube and all that. And the Bucks series, it's like it just got sucked into a, a wormhole and and didn't exist. So I just I always have to ask about it whenever it, uh, whenever it's relevant, as is it, as it is in this case. Well, um, I just to wrap this up. First, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. But on a larger scale, thank you so much for doing this documentary. Uh, yes. As you know, as Sixers fans and also fans of O One. I will consume anything about that team, but this was especially fun. Uh, I thought your focus on the regular season was unique compared to other documentaries and just telling Iverson and Larry Brown and getting them to interview. It was a truly awesome experience. Uh, I'm sure for everybody that watched it. So thank you for all the work you did to make it happen and to make it uh, something we were all able to watch during a boring Jokic series. So it gave us something to watch, you know, so. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, seriously, because uh, the small team that I had on this um, mm -hmm. and I, we worked nights and weekends for months. Uh, it was hard. Working on the dock is not easy. And I think people think. I can that, only imagine. Yeah. Right. That's... And I think pe when people think about TV, I think people think it magically just appears on, <laughs> on the TV and they don't know how much uh, of the back you know, behind the scenes work that goes into it. And it's hours, it's hard, it's long. Um, and so I'm really, really happy with the finished product. I have gotten a lot of people from Philly, including yourselves, um, to tell me that it was great. And that's all that matters to me. Like, as long as I did right by the people that's <laughs> in this doc, and honestly, the Philly people, um, that's all that matters to me. Like people have left me like voice messages in my DMs. Wow. Oh my God, like this was amazing. I was able to relive it, so on and so forth. And that is what truly matters to me. So I just want to say thank you for just acknowledging that because for real, we worked so hard and uh, I just want it to just pay off, honestly. Uh, so thank you. Well, well, listen, as someone who's now a, a cold hearted non-emotional media member after growing <laughs> up, Iverson was like my hero. It's it was a fun way to like revisit that part of my life where it's you know that kind of created my basketball fandom or interest in basketball and that led me to where I am today. So it was I it was effective for me. Then that means that I'm sure that thousands, if not millions, of Sixers fans are very happy with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Awesome. So thank you so much for the time and uh, look forward to whatever your next documentary is after watching this. Even, you know, I'll definitely be watching that. So thanks again for uh, coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. That was the interview with Brittany. Uh, awesome thing to, to, to get to do, to get to hear how that documentary was made. Also shout out fellow Temple grad. That was really cool. Um, so <laughs> thank you everyone that listened. Uh, we'll have a pod later in the week where we'll get into current Sixers things, but it was really fun to take a fun trip down memory lane uh, about this team. So Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Man. Talk to you guys soon.